With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy week six, everybody. We have made it here. Finally got some buys. 14 games to preview. Great day to be great. Let's get after it. As always, I am joined by none other than PFF Senior Analyst, Dwayne The Rock McFarland. Dwayne, this is the part of the week where we have recorded like three podcasts within 36 hours of another. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to lock this one down and, uh, you know, throw back some beers. <laughs> Great day to throw back some brewskis, as always. As always, I will go through the away team. Dwayne will go through the home team. We talk for a while. We hit on most guys. This isn't exactly meant to be an all-encompassing preview of every matchup. We're recording this at 5 p.m. on Tuesday. Still got to figure some stuff out throughout the week, but at a minimum, we want to give you at least one very solid fantasy football recommendation per team. So with that said, kick things off with Thursday Night Football. Buccaneers at the Eagles. Tampa Bay sitting pretty as seven-point favorites. Game totals holding steady at 52. So with the Buccaneers, we got Tom. Tom Brady, QB2, Mike Evans, wide receiver 11, Chris Coppin, wide receiver 13, Antonio Brown, wide receiver 25, despite missing a game. Rob Gronkowski tentatively expected to be back this week. We'll see about that rib injury. Obviously, he's someone that if he's healthy, you can feel good about him as a low-end tight end one at worst. Let's talk about Leonard Fournette, though, for a second, because as much slander as he's gotten over the years, and specifically last year, couldn't even make the Jaguars roster. A lot of people wrote him off for the dead. Dwayne, he's been looking pretty damn good this year, man, specifically over the last week or two. And in week five, only Nick Chubb and Alexander Madison forced more total missed tackles than Leonard Fournette. As a receiver, as a rusher, he was looking good against a bad Miami defense. But hey, you know, even the worst defense in the NFL still full of professional football players trying to take you to the ground. So now facing an Eagles defense over the past three weeks, Zeke ripped off an RB3 finish. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, RB12. Chuba Hubbard last week, RB16 finish. So looking at Fournette on the season, combined carries and targets per game, 16, 15, 7 in that extremely negative game script against the uh, Rams where we saw Giovanni Bernard end up getting fed for most of the game. And over the last two weeks, 25 and 17. So Leonard Fournette, Dwayne, even if we don't have the Giovanni Bernard pass down role, which I think would elevate Lenny to true top 12 RB1 status, the way things are rolling with Ronald Jones in a clear, clear backseat and early down work, I do think Fournette should be in you know the majority of fantasy lineups as a rock solid you know mid-tier low end RB2. So uh, we'll continue to 
kind of give guesstimates for where we have these guys ranks. Dwayne and I usually get our rankings done Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, but that's kind of how I'm feeling about Fournette here moving forward. Let tomorrow's disappointment not influence, uh, or let yesterday's disappointment not influence tomorrow's fantasy start sit decision. Now, Dwayne, not quite as many uh, fantasy relevant options on the Eagles, but at least we got a couple high end ones. Yeah, well, we always have <clears throat> Jalen Hurts because he doesn't care, you know, Ian, who he's playing. <laughs> he doesn't care what the matchup is. I know last week, like, because I have Hurts on a ton of teams, it was it was in the third quarter, and I was like, oh, man, maybe this is the week. Maybe this is the week where Hurts just doesn't come through. No, just kidding. He's going to rush the ball in for two touchdowns. Um, still comes up at 25 points. You know, that's what I tweeted out. He doesn't know how to score less than 25 points. It's not in his DNA, Ian. So when I look at the matchup, you know, it's not particularly great. It's not bad, really. I mean, the Bucks are a little bit banged up right now, um, so it's not like they're an invincible force. Um, but there's going to be a lot of points scored in the game, 51 and a half. You know, the spread, seven points. So, you know, the Eagles are going to be trailing. But the beauty of the Eagles, you know, I wrote about this in the utilization report. Um, I added a new feature this week, Ian. So I'm always trying to add these new features. And it was just really focuses on, okay, what does the pass volume environment look like? The run volume environment for the team. And then the, the pass run tendencies overall for the team. And the thing with Philly is they're pass heavy. So that's going to be good for the receivers, for the running backs, no matter what. The other note I'll give you this week is you have Zach Ertz potentially um, by himself as the lone tight end for the Eagles. We have Dallas Goddard, who was added to the COVID-19 list. So he's probably not going to be able to play. So that is going to push Zach Ertz into the top 12 tight ends. I haven't put an exact number on him yet Ian but I know he'll be in my top 12 if it's just going to be him suiting up without Dallas Goddard last quick notes we did see Miles Sanders you know as soon as, as soon as I gave Miles Sanders the downgrade you know in the <laughs> utilization report the week before and we talked about Kenny Gainwell the week before on the waiver wire report Miles Sanders did have his best utilization game of the season so something to keep an eye on I am not anxious to start any running back you know, um, against the Bucks, that I think is primarily just a runner. We need the pass receiver, right? We saw that last week with Miles Gaskin. We saw a little hint of that potentially with Miles Sanders. It's not enough for me, you know, Ian, to get behind it and like give it a huge stamp of approval. But I would say right now I'm encouraged. You know, we saw 67% routes per drop back last week or routes per pass play for Miles Sanders. So that's a really healthy number. He handled 52% of the rushing attempts, which is a little more than normal, but he was out there for 75% of the snaps. And the key is he took over 40% of the two-minute offense, whereas before 100% of that had been Kenneth Gainwell. So small, small incremental upgrade to Miles Sanders. But let's see if he can do that again. If he does, he can end up having some value down the stretch. Let's get that same usage, and I don't know, if you get five targets, maybe you catch all five of them again. Get a, get a little bit more than six yards, you know. A man can dream, after all. That's true, that's true. Florida showdown. We got the Dolphins at the Jaguars. Miami sitting as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Game total at 45-and-a-half. Tua is expected back from the rib injury this week, and it's good timing because watching Jacoby Brissett hobble around that hamstring, I, where were his linemen giving him the Byron Leftwich uh, treatment, you know, bringing him up and down the field? Hate to see it. Again, gritty display from Jacoby, as we always get, but he will be back to QB2 seemingly this week. Um, you mentioned it in the Buccaneers part, Dwayne, but Miles Gaskin, overall RB2 finish in Week 5 after playing how many snaps in Week 4? 12 total snaps. Almost had as many catches in Week Week five as he did snaps in week four you absolutely hate to see it no we are not going back to the well here with Gaskin I think if you had to pick one okay it's 
Gaskin. It's always been Gaskin, but he's still going to be an RB3. We just have no idea if he's going to continue getting to work or if Malcolm Brown or Salvin Ahmed will get back into that spot. So if buys are killing you, like, okay, you got to do what you got to do. But just realize the confidence level for Gaskin moving forward remains extremely low. With the wide receivers like Dwayne, we were talking about this at the end of the waiver wire pod, concerns about Jalen Waddle and everything. Maybe, just maybe, this is finally the Jalen Waddle explosion week because Devontae Parker, that hamstring, you know, who knows how many weeks he's going to miss with that. Will Fuller remains on the injured reserve list with the finger. And the Jaguars, as we've seen all year, they are a defense we want to start our guys against. Bottom three, an explosive pass play rate, yards per attempt, and QB rating allowed out of anyone in this offense that I am feeling good enough starting. It is Jalen Waddle. I'm not saying you can't go back to Mike Jasicki, but as we've talked about here, Dwayne, just trying to predict his usage on a week-to-week basis, usually a losing battle, and I do have concerns about what happens when we go from Jacoby, someone that really loves to throw over the middle, you know, deeper, I think, than Tua in general. Two guys like Jasicki, back to Tua, where we might get a lot more of those dump downs. Yeah, go ahead. One quick note for you, just on while we're here, real quick on the Dolphins. So what was interesting is, man, they ran 12 personnel like almost every play last week with the injuries to the receivers. So what was nice about that is it did force Waddle to kick outside. So, you know, he was still on the field. He wasn't on the field just, you know, playing whenever they were in 11 personnel, which is what we've seen in the past. Now, it could have been out of necessity, right? Like this team went from all the from us looking at it being like, wow, look at all the weapons they have now to back to going, wow, they don't have any weapons anymore. <laughs> so um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But the one thing that was good for Jaseki as well, just as far as his utilization went, um, you know, it was actually his best utilization week of the season. Of course, the way it naturally worked was his fantasy points. You know, they were okay, but they weren't good. Um, so I think we probably get one more week out of him. We'll have to keep an eye on the rest of the injury report. But I'm borderline with Jaseki at this point of saying, you know, like it's actually sticking. Like it's been here for three or four weeks. But we could get Tua back. That could change things. So there, there are still obviously some, some dynamics in play. And he is a wide receiver. Again, I don't understand why he's still <laughs> being true. labeled a tight end. Inline snaps. Did you sign him yet? Did you sign him yet? Like as an, you're his agent, right? We're, we're in the early, early conversation, <laughs> you know, still trying to cross our T's and dot our I's. But this year, people, for those keeping track at home, 13 snaps for Jasicki as an inline tight end. Oh, 51 as a wide receiver, fully out wide, just, you know, 137 in the slot. But yeah, yeah, we'll go with, uh, we'll go with tight end. Dwayne. The Jaguars, you know, can't keep themselves out of the news for one bad reason after another. And by themselves, I just mean Urban Meyer. But, hey, at least we finally have James Robinson doing a lot of good things. Yeah, that's what I was going to hit on. I mean, 68% of the snaps last week, you know, after the week before, we had Carlos Hyde with that last second inactive um, status on Thursday night, showed up to the, uh, you know, the stadium with a sore shoulder or something. I guess he got like a booster shot. I have no clue. Um, <laughs> but you, you had James Robinson out there and good for him. Way to go, Carlos Hyde. Either way. Um, but James Robinson, so this last week you had Carlos Hyde back, 68% of the snaps, 64% of the rushing attempts. 58% of the routes, 60% of the short down and distance, you know, even though the one that sticks in everybody's head is the one in the game, Carl Hyde got stuffed um, when he was down there inside the five. Um, but inside the five attempts, he did get 50%, only 25% to Carlos Hyde, the other 25% to the other guy that I want to mention here, which is Trevor Lawrence. We briefly hit on him on the waiver wire show, so I won't spend a lot of time on him, but he's going to be sneaky high this week in my rankings. And when I say sneaky high, he's not going to be in my top 12 or anything, folks. But once you get past like like that 12 and you got a group of folks you could potentially use like his DFS type plays 
He's going to be in there. Um, Lawrence is going to be in there. And it's mainly because of the, the design rushing attempts over the last three weeks, 12%, 22%, and 14%. And then his scrambles are up as well. On the season, he's only at 5%. But for the last three weeks, 7%, 7%, and 8%. So if you're getting an 8% to 7% scramble rate and a 15 to 20% design rushing attempt rate, that puts you in a really good spot. Because if you go off and you hit 300 yards passing, you throw a couple of touchdowns, and you've already got a nice five, six, seven point cushion just off your rushing, then that can take you somewhere in fantasy football. Only thing I'll add, James Robinson, PFS number one highest graded rusher and number one yards after contact per attempt. Two claps for you, James. You are a fantastic real-life football player. I have no idea how nobody drafted him, so credit to James Robinson. We got the Vikings at the Panthers. This opened with Carolina as a one-and-a-half-point favorite, has swung all the way over to Minnesota, now favored by one point. Game total holding steady at 46-and-a-half. So it's pretty simple. We have Alexander Madison, and we have Dalvin Cook. If Dalvin Cook is out, you treat Alexander Madison as a top six fantasy running back. If Dalvin Cook is back, and we don't have egregious reports about him being limited, you're treating him as a top six fantasy football running back as well. So that's really what it comes down to. I understand the Vikings have a week seven bye, I believe. So if they decide to rest Cook for another week, I get it. But I also wonder, like you just rest them last week against the Lions. You can't just, hey, let's rest him the entire season to make sure he doesn't get hurt. You're paying the guy 50 million. I would think if he is healthier, he will be out there this week. But, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. So right now, Dalvin Cook, he's one of only five running backs, I believe, we have projected for over 20 touches in week six. If he's out, Alexander Madison is going to be projected for the same amount. So just realize, again, like once Sunday morning comes along, all you people asking start sick questions with Alexander Madison, the answer is always yes. Figure it out. The answer is yes. Now, what I want to talk about here, because Kirk Cousins, you know, quality streamer, I will say, though, this uh, matchup worries me because in my QB predictions article, I talked about how Cousins is fantastic from a clean pocket. He's second in PFF passing grade, second in just a completion rate, 11th in yards per attempt. However, he has been the fourth most sensitive quarterback this year in terms of largest drop off in yards per attempt when kept clean versus when under pressure who's the second best defense in the league at creating pressure, the Carolina Panthers. So, uh, yeah, Dwayne, he's an okay streamer, but I still think Darnold and some of these other guys we talked about, I actually probably would take ahead of Cousins uh, this week. Small mistake, though, that I personally made talking about the Vikings on that waiver pod, and one of the listeners rightfully called me out for it. Don't look now, Dwayne. The Vikings aren't exactly this, like, run-first offense anymore, ignoring the air. Like, they are 17th in pass play rate this year overall taking out garbage time like they're 19th this is a team that is a middle of the road passing offense now so my bad for letting you know some of 2019 2020 seep into 2021 but it really has been more times than not down Minnesota whether I think the bigger probably takeaway is that this defense hasn't been good enough for them to only have Kirk throw the ball 15 times but with Jefferson with Thielen with Tyler Conklin I think we can feel better about their volume moving forward in an offense that does throw the ball more than in past years so final point is I just want to give Justin Jefferson some love because since week one last season he is second in PFF receiving grade behind only Devontae Adams, third in receiving yards behind Adams and Stephon Diggs fifth in yards per out run, sixth in PPR points per game behind Adams Hill, Chase, Diggs, and Ridley so I'll talk about this more with Jamar Chase but to me it's just incredible how Jefferson 
he hasn't just been great for a first and second year receiver. Like he is already among the top five receivers in any metric you want to look at throwing age out the window. So I have no idea what he's capable of, you know, in year eight, year nine. We see sometimes Juju Smith-Schuster sure looked like he was on pace for, you know, one hell of a career through his first two seasons as well. But man, Justin Jefferson, like good luck finding a hole in that dude's game. The only thing that's holding him back these days is not getting the ball enough. So Dwayne with the Panthers. A little bit of a letdown last week, but tentatively hoping the one-on-one Christian McCaffrey is back. Yeah, yeah. So, And I won't spend a lot of time on McCaffrey. You guys know if he's playing, you're starting him. doesn't matter. He's the RB1 all the time, every day, anytime he's starting in a fantasy football game because he does everything. Catches balls, runs balls in for touchdowns, skates backward on ice, somehow <laughs> scores touchdowns. I don't know. I mean, he does everything. Um, but as far as the Panthers overall go, I just want to hit, like, first at a high level, you know, with the team, like – this is a real, it's just a good fantasy, you know, environment. You know, they're running a lot of plays. They're number one in the league, Ian, in time of possession. Um, they rank seventh in plays, you know, per game. They're 28th in plays per minute. They haven't had to run really fast. Um, but a lot of that is just really due to the game environments that they've been in. But overall, it just continues to be a healthy spot where there's plenty of volume to help support, you know, multiple fantasy weapons. And so that brings really to, you know, the, the main player that I wanted to talk about, which is just really DJ Moore. You know, he lands in a great spot this week, Ian. He has got the wide receiver cornerback matchup grade of 85.8. So that's going to be a top five on the slate. Um, and again, the way the, the matchup tool now works is really based on overall where we see each corner, how often we think each cornerback's going to line up against DJ Moore, right? Since we know that there's not a lot of shadowing and that sort of thing, we're trying to do a better job of really saying, okay, here's the overall picture of what this matchup looks like versus these cornerbacks overall. And from a wide receiver strength of schedule standpoint, you know, it's right around, you know, a five, which is, you know, an average. But for the week, it's kind of a weird week. It's going to be a decent mark. So he's going to get really good marks that way. It's not a great implied total. You know, it's actually bad, 22.5. But DJ Moore doesn't care. You know, Ian, he just doesn't care because he's at 25% targets per route run. He's at 28% of the targets on the year. And there's really nobody close challenging him right now. Um, when you look at the Carolina offense, the next closest will probably be McCaffrey. When he's healthy but right now it's Robbie Anderson at 16% but he continues to work downfield so he's just not as involved Terrace Marshall just hasn't done what we thought he would do he's at 12% of the targets so I mean you've got DJ Moore lapping you know these other players almost doubling them up in target share and I think that's just going to continue to be the case I don't think there's a way where he finishes under 27 28% target share for the season and you're still going to get these 35 45% outbursts just because the way they use him his route tree is very diverse they use him all over the place I like to look at where these guys are targeted he's targeted all over the field he goes deep he goes intermediate he plays outside he plays inside they get him the ball underneath they're literally doing everything they can it's kind of funny and it's like last year we were like why the hell are they doing this stuff with robbie anderson i know and then now they're doing it with dj moore they're doing everything we hoped they would do with dj moore last year and why we had him ring so high um and i'm here for it you love to see it yeah, I'm here for it as well. I kind of wish I knew this was their plan. I would have ranked them a hell of a lot higher uh, before <laughs> the season started, but uh, it is what it is. And yeah, I can't echo what you said enough about these bad cornerbacks. My prediction for Sam Darnold this week, most likely to take advantage of some bad cornerbacks. Patrick Peterson, Bashad Breeland have allowed combined in five games 39 catches, 541 yards, six touchdowns. How many interceptions have they contributed because of all this? Absolutely zero. Those numbers would be so much worse if Baker Mayfield could have, I don't know, scored one of the three wide-open touchdowns OBJ had. And yes, I will be mentioning that every single pod for the rest of the season. Chargers at the Ravens, though. We got Baltimore at minus three. 
51 and a half game total. Dwayne, I was honestly shocked when I saw the Ravens were favored. I don't fancy myself this incredible gambler or anything. I do enjoy gambling. And, like, does that surprise you? I think the Chargers should be favored. Yes, I agree. I mean, I yeah, I at least thought, you know, it would be a pick em, you know. Yeah. Um, it's at the Ravens. So, minus three is basically like a pick em, you know. For the home team home. advantage. When, when you're, yeah. for, for the home team, right? But I thought it would at least be a pick em, period, right? Which would mean, really, it's a favor. That's a, that's a hat tip, right? Or, a, you know, a nod to the Chargers, which I agree. I think they should be the favorite team. It's West Coast to relatively East Coast, but Ravens are coming off Monday night. I just think the Chargers have the better offense. They have the better defense. We can have weird things happen. I lost my Panthers bet last week because they had a pump block, you know, deep in the fourth quarter. So crazy things have happened, but yes, I am pounding that Chargers money line. But how about a hat tip to Austin Eckler, who our guest, spoiler alert for Thursday, Nathan Yonke has been touting as a top five running back all throughout the offseason in five games this year. Austin Eckler has finished as the PPR RB28, RB6, RB8, RB3, and most recently the RB1. What's been the greatest surprise of it all, though? The goal line usage, four carries inside the five-yard line this year. That's already twice as many as he had in all of 2020. And in 2019, where Melvin Gordon was suspended the first four games and we really saw Eckler start to grind his teeth, he only had seven in freaking all year. So, loving Eckler. And right now, I think obviously Derrick Henry is our overall RB1. Christian McCaffrey, if he's there, he'll be ahead of Henry. So, those are our top two. Eckler has as good a case as anyone as the RB3 overall. Love to see it. But how about for Big Mike? Fantasy's wide receiver three behind only Tyree Kill and Cooper Cup right now. You know, we got Debo up there. Devontae Adams not too far behind. This could change. I'm, I don't necessarily anticipate Mike Williams finishing as the wide receiver three. But everyone out there that thinks Mike Williams is going to regress and come back to earth, I would love to hear your reasoning because through five weeks, we have 12 targets, 10 targets, 9 targets, 4 targets, most recently 16. Like, Again, we don't have examples of Mike Williams just getting these 150 target seasons and busting. It's been the opposite. We haven't been able to get the volume. He had a 1,000-yard season anyway. He had an 11-touchdown season anyway, and now he has the volume, and he's returning the sort of production that really we, could, we should have been anticipating. So already he has three of his six career games with double-digit targets have come this year. And with this Ravens secondary, man, I think as we saw – they make Carson Wentz look freaking good. So fair play to Wentz. He played very well on Monday night. But at, the, at this point in time, with no Marcus Peters and no Jimmy Smith, they just don't have anyone that can even match up physically with Mike Williams. I know Marlon Humphreys is a great cornerback, and he does his thing. But just from a pure physical standpoint, the Ravens don't have a starting cornerback over six feet or at 200 pounds. That's going to be a sheesh for me when you're playing truly one of the most physical receivers in the league right now in Mike Williams. So, yeah, Keenan Allen, you're still starting every week too. But, you know, shout out to Big Mike for absolutely crushing it, as he told you he would back on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast this summer. Now, Dwayne, how about that Lamar Jackson performance, man? Now, just, just real quick, I, I don't want to bore you all with all my fantasy leagues, but in my home league that I truly care about, I needed like 14 points from Lamar Jackson last night. And I was just, I, I took the whiskey out at halftime and I just kept pouring, man, because I was like, I, th this is my worst case scenario. And then he fumbles without getting touched near the goal line. And I was just like, wow. It's happening. Lamar Jackson is going to get 10 points and I'm going to lose this. And then he proceeded to show everyone what he's really done all year. And that's throw the living hell out of that football. So thank you, Lamar and Dwayne. I mean, I 
get it. Patrick Mahomes has kind of earned that overall QB1 uh, statement. But for me, like I always thought Kylo Murray maybe had like the highest ceiling in fantasy football because we saw so much more progression as a passer. But the way Lamar is looking this year, man, whoo boy, this is wild. Yeah, no, I think I think it's Lamar, Kyler Murray, and Josh Allen all are the top three. And to be honest, I think that Patrick Mahomes is number four. Like, I would rather own those three players than Patrick Mahomes just because they all give you more with their legs. Um, and their offenses all just look better right now. You know, the Chiefs are just kind of – the Chiefs have been muddling around, you know, for a year. Now, they'll still put up huge games, and they're going to – we'll talk about them in a minute. They get to play the football team this weekend. When you play the football team, really good things happen. But, yes, 100% on board with you with Lamar. Um, he was huge for me in Scott Fishbowl. I scored 300 points in Scott Fishbowl last night. Now, <laughs> no, you got, didn't. Uh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You scored 299.7. No, I scored 301. There was a there was a correction, and I was wow. over 300 this morning. <laughs> Why wouldn't you yeah. tell me that? Now I'm excited I, for dude, you. I, yeah, man, I don't know. I just didn't think about it. I've been, <laughs> been busy. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – and I so I we're talking about these two teams. It's funny because I, I drafted Herbert and Williams, and I drafted Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown. So those Ooh. two stacks, and it's a super flex. So those two stacks alone have been awesome. Um, but, you know, enough, enough about that. You know, when you look at the Ravens, yeah, it's just – Man, it's so exciting to look at this offense. And, you know, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, Ian, you know, looking at the utilization reports and talking about, you know, the Ravens are throwing the ball more. And what they do last night, it was so funny sitting there watching the game. Sometimes I feel like, Ian, I'm like, somebody slipped Brian Greasy, like the freaking utilization report. Like, because he's sitting there and he's like, yeah, they're just trying to test things out. in these first few plays, they're going to throw it a few more times and just test things out. And I'm like, like, dude, like they're throwing the ball more this year. Like he just like he had no he didn't know, you know, he didn't really and, and understand. Dwayne, and Dwayne, when the Colts were on offense, did you realize that Lamar Jackson was <laughs> Lamar on the sidelines on the sidelines? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, after I heard it the third time, I started to comprehend it. Then I started to understand, you know, and to give that to give that crew some slack. I think the news of Gruden like completely threw him for a loop. Like they That's a good felt point. kind of punch drunk the rest of the night. Like they know him professionally. They've worked with him a long time. I'm sure it was a major gut punch. Like when we this got news robbed. started breaking. Dwayne, we got robbed of having that news break during the Manning stream. That would have been unbelievable. Oh my gosh, yes. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I didn't watch any of the Manning stuff last night because all it, that it wasn't was on. No, it wasn't on. They oh, didn't that's have right. It wasn't on yeah. at all. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, man, I totally forgot. I blanked on it last night. And you're right. It wasn't even on. So, cool. Um, good good for uh, good for me because that would have been uh, crazy if I had missed that and we had to talk about it here. Um, but, you know, um, sorry. Back to the Ravens. Marquise Brown. Wow. Look at this, Ian. Uh, uh, here are his finishes. 17-7, 57-13-3. And, and remember when the 57 happened, it could have been probably the number one over the yeah. on that week because of the drops. So, Marquise Brown. Right now is wide receiver six Ooh. in fantasy football. And do we think that's ending? I don't think it's ending. Like the way this offense runs, he's playing great. Lamar's playing great. They throw the ball more. Everything you could hope for. The only thing right now that's going to slow Marquise Brown down is himself. You know, and an injury could always be an issue. Every time he gets tackled and there's a pile on, you know, and there's like the one guy is holding him, the next guy comes, and then three people fall on him together. I'm like, oh, God, is he still there? Yeah, he's there. He's, I still see him. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. But he's, he's, he's killing it. And then whenever you look over – Across from him, at tight end, Ian, you know, Ooh. another player. You know, I feel really good about the Ravens and how 
how we've really been on them and been proactive with them, talking to people, look, go trade for Mark Andrews, go get Mark Andrews, go get Mark Andrews, running more routes than he's ever ran in his life, now playing in an offense that's going to throw the ball more than they ever have in his life. Lamar Jackson's looking better as a passer ever than Mark Andrews has in his career. It's not like he's been playing for 10 years. I know he's only in his like fourth season, but still, this is the best atmosphere he's been in. Now over the last three weeks, or at last four weeks, his tight end finishes are 11, 6, 13, and 1. Last night, you know, he had two touchdowns. Downs. He had a two. Did he have two two point conversions or just one? I think he just had one two point conversion. But he, no, he he's two. tight end. He actually had two. He did have two. Yeah. <laughs> so he had. Um, yeah. He had the number one week on the season. You know, he's got a six and in week three, but he's number two overall at tight end now. You know, for the season. So I mean, look, it's just the Ravens' offense overall, and they don't have anybody to run the ball with. And so I think basically they're just saying, look, we are. This is going to be more our identity. They will eventually figure out a way to run the ball some more. But, you know, every time they turn around and hand it off, like nobody looks good. Like when I'm watching these games, I'm like, if I were them, I'd be just I would be doing the same thing. I would just be like, you know what? We're just going to throw the ball more. I know you've got to run it enough to set up everything else that you want to do. But, man, they looked great, great, great last night. I mean, it's like the Ravens, the Cardinals, and the Bills, and I guess the Eagles too. When you have these dual threat quarterbacks, you can be an empty, and defenses really still have to respect the run way more so than, you know, pretty much any other team in the league. You said it, like statistically, Latavius Murray, you could call him the worst running back in the league, and you would not be mistaken, at least in terms of those getting touches. Now, we got the Rams at the Giants. L.A. sitting as 10.5-point favorites over under at 47.5. You know you're firing up Cooper Cup, high-end wide receiver one. Matthew Stafford going to probably be in that, you know, QB 10 to QB 13 range all season long. And Robert Woods got back to balling last week. As we told you, four-week sample sizes just aren't very big. 17-game sample sizes aren't very big. Continue to treat Woods as, you know, I don't think he's going to beat out Cup necessarily because I think the big differentiator for Woods all these years has been the rush attempts, which just don't seem to be coming. But hey, at worst, it's going to be hard to rank 24 guys ahead of him on a weekly basis. The main event, though, is Daryl Henderson, who suffered a stinger last week. That led to Sony Michelle getting some run, and that's why the snaps were a little bit down. But man, oh man, week one, PPR RB14. Week two, RB12. Then he was injured, comes back, RB16, RB20. I think this is the week we get just the blow-up top eight, top five running back performance, Dwayne, because the Giants, seventh worst, def- seventh worst defense in PPR points per game allowed to opposing backs. And man, like, again, looking at our PFF projections, which wouldn't say our gospel and fantasy land, like there is a difference between projections and rankings. We can dive through that another time. No need to get too, uh, you know, philosophical here. But PFF is only projecting five running backs for at least 20 carries and targets this week. Najee Harris, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, or Alexander Madison, and Daryl Henderson. So it is just so tough to bust with this sort of volume. And I think we would have seen Sony carve out this committee role already. It would have happened in week four if it was going to happen at all when Henderson was coming back from the shoulder injury. So, hey, man, you know, Dwayne, we've been all over this all year, so I don't want to call, like, Listeners of the podcast should know Daryl Henderson, how good he is and everything and the usage he's uh, been getting. But if you're playing with some friends who just think he's another RB2 guy because that's kind of been the performance he's been putting up, go get him. Don't be afraid to trade a wide receiver two for Henderson because he's going to be an RB1 before too long with this sort of usage. So love that. Love what we're seeing out of Henderson. Don't exactly love what we're seeing with the Giants, except for Juan Kadarius Tony, who, Dwayne, I mean, we pretty much spent like 15 minutes on the guy in the waiver pod. 
Yeah, so I won't spend a lot of time here. Basically, though, what you just have to know this week is there's just a lot to watch, right? We're going to have to see what happens with Sterling Shepard. Is Darius Slayton going to be back? It looks like Kenny Galladay will be out this week. But it's just not a good matchup overall. You know, you got one of the roughest matchups in the passing game. You know, so I, I would look forward to seeing Tony get the matchup, you know, with Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey a few times. You know, I went back. You did a great clip, you know, out there on Twitter, Ian, um, that I thought did a great job of just really kind of capturing everything and letting everybody see. Kadarius Tony, but I went into, you know, PFF Ultimate and, you know, how we can click and we can actually, you know, we can click on each play we want to see. And I just clicked on all the plays and let them run. And it was awesome just watching the guy play. And it's like you said, um, the one thing I would highlight here is he was not just a gadget player. So I went back and watched the last two weeks. He's lining up all over the place. He's beating people outside. He's beating people inside. He has this little route on the inside that's kind of like this little whip looking thing. Like you can't like, guard oh, you're, you're talking about the one he got digs on, right? Yes, you can't yeah, like cool. no one can guard that. Like that's insane. Um, so like I'm super excited about him. I don't know what he where his mental you know where his mentals are like and where his headspace is. But like man, I'm praying like he gets all that figured out. You know I know that was something that was kind of a, a mark against him in the draft process. But wow. What a joy just to watch him run routes, get the ball into his hands, you know, into space. Um, the other giant, you know, we'll have to watch again. We don't even know if Daniel Jones is going to play. We do we do know Saquon Barkley is going to be out for the week. So it's not exactly the greatest matchup for Devontae Booker because, I mean, you know, you're, you're – you know, when you're a 10 and a half point, you know, dog, and you're only implied to score 18 and a half, like that's tough. But here's the thing with Booker is we know the volume's going to be there, you know, and you were just talking about PFF projections and how they work the shares and different things. I mean, he's still projected at 18.7 touches. Ooh. And that's really, you know, that's what you're getting with Devontae Booker. So just think of him as a, as a low-end RB2, could finish as a high-end RB3. If he scores a touchdown, he might finish as a mid-range RB2 for the week. He's going to pick up a few, you know, catches in the passing game. So, I mean, don't expect a lot. But just know you could probably, you're going to get 12 to 15 points out of Devontae Booker this week. And if, you, if he shows up with 20, you know, then, I mean, hey, he's like the friend that brought dessert whenever, you know, you thought they were just going to show up and bring nothing and just drink your beer, but they actually show up with something like that's <laughs> that's going to be Devontae Booker this weekend. Um, so not a lot to really love about the Giants. We've just got to watch the injury report with all of these guys. Hard to find running backs. Pretty much guaranteed 15 plus touches. Devontae Booker is one of those running backs. Texans at the Colts. Indy sitting as nine and a half point favorites. Game total at 43 and a half. As always in our Texans section. Hey, a hat tip to Davis Mills. 300 yards, three touchdowns last week against Bill Belichick's Evil Empire. That was great. I'm not betting on Davis Mills replicating that performance uh, moving forward. So goes back to Brandon Cooks. But the good thing that performance told me was that. Mills should be able to enable Cooks a little bit better than he has in the first two games. Like, let's not, let's, you know, zoom out for a second and look at Cooks' season here. Week one, 132 yards. Week two, nine catches, 78 yards, and a score. Week three, with Davis Mills, nine catches, 112 yards. So, yeah, we had the bottoming out game against the Bills. Even then, five catches, 47 yards. Like, we've seen worse studs this season. And then the Patriots, who basically said, hey, whatever happens, you know, Chris Moore can go nuts, Chris Conley can go bunts can go nuts uh brandon cooks is not going to beat us and he didn't only 23 yards on three catches so now brandon cooks gets to sink his teeth into a colts defense where if you look at the outside cornerbacks we have old man xavier rhodes who commentating like him and josh norman like people i understand they were really good four or five years ago but it's 2021 now we don't need to keep acting like xavier rhodes and josh norman who have had great careers are these big problems to worry about if anything i love that we got to still speedy cooks going
going up against Rose, who I just don't think can match that long speed. You saw what Hollywood Brown was doing to that defense last night. And now we got 2026 round pick Isaiah Rogers on the other side because TJ Carey is on the IR with an unspecified injury. Yes, that's true. I even I saw unspecified and I said, no, it, you put a guy on IR, you must specify it. Apparently not, Dwayne. You can just put guys on and say, yeah, he hurt something. We'll figure that out later. So hopefully TJ Carey is okay with whatever. Either way, Brandon Cooks, while it was a situation in the last two weeks where I think it made sense to answer most start sick questions with the other guy, Brandon Cooks will be someone that I'll actively try to squeeze in that top 30 wide receivers. Worst case, no, he will be my definition of an upside wide receiver three. Now, Dwayne, on the Colts, oh, buddy, the tilt. <laughs> People laughed at me all offseason when I said Marlon Mack might be a problem in this uh, backfield. <sighs> Dwayne, here we are in week six. Marlon Mack is a problem in the Indianapolis Colts backfield. It's insane. Um, and I, I have to say, look, I, I get where everybody's coming from because I feel the same way. You yeah. know, when you watch the game, look, we know that running backs, you know, they don't matter a lot. But here's the way I do look at that game and the way Jonathan Taylor was playing. Isn't there a slight, slightly better chance that had you given those five running attempts, you thought you got to give to Marlon Mack, those 10 snaps, you know, four of them on passing downs. If you just given all those to Jonathan Taylor the way he was playing, what if he just breaks one more play for a touchdown? You don't have to go to overtime and you actually just beat. You know the Ravens. You score one extra. You know you get down. You either kick another field goal. You score another touchdown. Some point in the game, you know, on a on a play that Jonathan Taylor either enables or he just scores himself. You know, so I, I get it. I get where the tilt comes from. But look, some coaches just do this, and Frank Reich is one of them. And he comes from Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson used to do this all the time with the Eagles. And so for whatever, and now we're seeing Nick Sirianni kind of do the same thing, right? With the Eagles. You know, we talked about this last week. We caught a blip of Sanders getting a little bit more work. Well, every once in a while we get the same thing with Jonathan Taylor. The nice thing, Ian, is they were designing things for him in the passing game. They were finding ways to get him out into routes against linebackers finding ways to motion him around to see what the coverage looks like. And that was dictating, you know, was he going to get the ball or not? So those are really nice things. But it's like you said, you just, you're going to have to live with this issue. Um, I wish that he hadn't blown up the way that he did. It probably still wouldn't matter because people are sharp enough these days in DFS. But you have a great matchup, favored by nine and a half points against, you know, the Texans. Like he's going to be, I haven't, I haven't seen any projections yet for roster ship this weekend in DFS, but he's going to be, he's going to be monster owned. Like he's going to be on a ton. You know, he and Daryl Henderson are both going to have high ownership just based off the spreads of the games that they're playing in and both have good matchups. But Jonathan Taylor, you know, you're nine and a half point favorite, 26 point, you know, implied odds. And you got a 9.0 grade on the running back strength of schedule, which is going to be third best or fourth best on the slate, but nine is elite. So even if there's four teams all jumbled right there, you know, there's still, you know, even though I rank them in my smash fades column, you know, they're all essentially the same. They're all a smash matchup. You've got a nice run blocking advantage this weekend, you know, projected as well against Houston. So um, Jonathan Taylor, you know, you don't know. Are you going to get 15 attempts? Probably, you know, but 15 against the Texans, you know, and say you get three or four catches is probably going to be enough, but he might be able to squeak out 17, 18, maybe get up towards 19 touches this weekend. I know we've got him projected at the site right now at 19.4. If he gets to that, you know, he's going to do really well this weekend against the Texans. Thoughts on Michael Pittman, who has six catches in four straight games, and oh my goodness, what a touchdown last night. Moss and that dude. Yeah. Yeah, he was probably down at the one-yard line. I'm happy they gave him the touchdown. He earned it. 
Yeah, Michael Pittman, like he's a you know he's a really cool dude. We got to my wife and I got to meet him at a banquet like two years ago oh, nice. when he was coming out of college. Yeah, I was at um, a thing that Jason Witten does here um, in Dallas, and so you know how there's like the NFL Man of the Year. They do this thing for college kids, and so they they invite like five fi- finalists this year. I think that year there were three finalists, but he was one of the ones that got to come. So it was really cool. We got to meet him and talk to him. But yeah, look, he's looking good. Like he's the alpha on the team. I mean, he's getting he's you know, he's getting between 25, 35% of the targets every single week. So if you have Michael Pittman on your roster, um, you know, I say he's, he's a wide receiver three, but he's going to give you these wide receiver two, even wide receiver one weeks, you know, but he might creep his way if he just keeps doing this, you know, into the back end of our wide receiver two conversation. Um, you got a good, pretty good matchup wide receiver strength of schedule of 6.4 this weekend. I just don't expect the Colts to have to keep the accelerator down too much. Now I say that, and then look at what, you know, um, the Texans did last week with New England. You know, that game ended up being a lot more competitive than what New England thought it was going to be. Um, and so they did actually need to throw a little bit more than what they had originally anticipated. Similar, I think, ranking and kind of strategy than to what I was just saying about Brandon Cooks. I think Cooks probably has a little more guaranteed volume week to week. But again, someone will probably try to uh, fit in the top 30 and a recommended wide receiver three start. Otherwise, we got the Chiefs at the Washington football team. KC sitting at seven and a half point road favorites. Game total at a robust 55 and a half points. Mahomes is the QB one this year. Tyreek's the wide receiver two. Kelsey's the tight end one. You don't need me to tell you to play all those guys. Now for the juicy stuff. I wouldn't chase Nicole Harbin's 12 targets. Who knows how much more Josh Gordon is going to be involved in future weeks. We could also see Byron Pringle just boom up and get his snaps more in the right place as well. Clearly, the offense wasn't working last Sunday night. I don't think uh, when they see Miko being a big part of it, they're going to necessarily go back to that well. So the bigger question, which Dwayne and I talk a lot about on the waiver wire pod, so I'll be a little bit brief here, but what to expect from Daryl Williams. Claude Eversolaire was placed on the injured reserve list. With that ankle, might have been a knee, he's on the injured reserve either way. So he will be out for at least three weeks. But before week five, the point we were making on this podcast was that Clyde was the RB30 in expected points. He was actually overachieving, despite everyone still being furious at his production to that point. And the main issue is that they don't throw him the ball because they got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey to throw the ball to. So it's just not the same game as when Brian Westbrook, as when Jamal Charles and even Kareem Hunt were just making a living. I also think all three of those players are significantly better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But either way, it matters what the Chiefs' usage of him is, and it hasn't been great. So, no, I'm not expecting Daryl Williams' usage to be any better than what we saw from Clyde. Last year in the postseason, when Daryl was working as the lead back, he had 17, 14, and four touches in three games. Hey, I think somewhere, you know, from 10 to 15 touches is probably a safe projection for him. We have him right now in our initial projections as the RB22 on the week. Jarek McKinnon has the RB32. And in this sort of high-scoring matchup, yeah, it makes sense. Both guys could just find their way into the end zone by virtue of playing the league's 31st-ranked scoring defense. In general, though, just wouldn't freak out. Wouldn't be blowing the fab on him. We have Clyde coming back after three weeks. And again, like we didn't have McKinnon in this backfield last year. And we also have none other than Derek Gore getting elevated. So could be even a three-back committee. It's just a lot of unknown. And again, the upside is not what you think it is in the 2021 edition of this Andy Reid offense. Now, Dwayne, as bad as the Washington defense might be, the Chiefs are even worse, man. Like, we we have a matchup between the 32nd and 31st ranked scoring defenses here. Give me all the points. Let's finally get some boom weeks from these Washington guys, huh? 
Yeah, and that's been the issue for McLaurin, right? Is he's really been boom bust. You know, why, um, week one, week he was a fifty wide receiver fifty six. Week two, wide receiver three. Week week three, wide receiver forty five. Week four, wide receiver four. Then week five, wide receiver fifty. So I think there's a pattern there, Ian. <laughs> so I think we're probably due for another top five. It's top that easy. Fantasy doesn't have to we be hard, Jordan. Yeah, exactly. But no, it is a great spot, you know, for McLaurin. It's also a good spot. It's also a good spot for Ricky Seals Jones, who we talked about a little bit on the waiver wire pod. But he gets a tight end strength of schedule of six point one this week. Gets a, a tight end versus linebackers and safeties matchup of thirty three, which is probably going to be the fourth or fifth best on the slate. That tight end matchup is probably going to be top eight matchup, maybe top ten matchup on the slate. And this is a player that was out there. He pretty much just we don't see this very often, Ian. But when one player goes down, especially in the, we see it in the running game, but not in the passing game, where it's really the next player up just comes on and takes everything. You know, they may fill their role and be physically out there doing something, but we don't always see the targets, right? Targets per route, you know, and the target share and all those things follow along. We actually have seen that with Ricky Sills-Jones, um, and he's out there all the time. So I feel pretty confident about him. You know, I know right now we've got him, you know, if you look at the projections on PFF, he's probably going to shake out like around 18 or something like that. But he's going to be, he will be in my high tight end two range. He might sneak into the bottom of my tight end ones, you know, for this week. Um, I know we talked about a couple of other players and for the rest of the season, but I really do like Ricky Sills Jones for this week. Um, We talked about Heineke on, you know, the waiver pod. So, you know, and we ranked him versus several other quarterbacks. So I won't hit anything there. The other player that I will hit on really quickly is Antonio Gibson. Yes, he is playing, you know, with the stress fracture, but it sounds like, you know, based on what we heard last week, um, from, you know, Mario at PFF, you know, our, our good doctor here, you know, he said that, look, it's really just a, a pain tolerance thing. It could be a long-term issue. We don't know, but like right now it's really about managing the pain. Running back strength of schedule is a 10.0. That's perfect against the chiefs. Now they're also seven point dogs. We could see Washington fall behind really early, but it is a good matchup for Antonio Gibson. So this is going to be a week that you're going to want, that you will want to fire him up. Um, again, not getting a lot of work in the passing downs, all that kind of stuff. But I don't think we even really do we even really need to talk about that anymore, Ian. To me, it's kind of like we're at the point where it is what it is. J.D. McKissick gets the passing down work. Antonio Gibson, as weird as it seems, he's the first and second down pounder. Like he's essentially Jonathan Taylor in this offense, a little bit lesser version, you know, of of an offense um, than what Taylor gets to operate. And you know what? They're probably close, you know, um, right now watching the Colts. Like that offense really isn't that good either. Um, but they're really in the same role. And, like, I was really worried about the stress fraction to Shin last week, but he's been playing with it, and they just gave him 22 touches in a game that they lost by two scores. So, yes, Gibson, he's not getting the top five, you know, volume role that we were hoping for. Still someone that should be in your starting lineup each and every I will say that stress fracture is enough for me um, that I did go out last week in all of my deep leagues, and I grabbed Jarrett Patterson, you know, for a dollar, two dollars. Minfab bid. Like, this could be the next player. Um, that pops up, you know, in two weeks from now. Look, and it's we're not trying to wish anything bad on Antonio Gibson, but like this has been the year of all years to show everyone like why you just stash these players. You know, I did it last week in the fishbowl with Devontae Booker before the game started. I just looked at my roster. I'm like, you know, I don't need this player. And so I just went and found the next player that I was like, okay, he's got a back in front of them that if they went down, it pretty much looks like they're going to be the only, they would get most of that player's work. That's how I feel about, you know, um, 
that's how I feel about this situation with Antonio Gibson. So if you can get Jared Patterson for nothing, if you're in a small league, you're not going to need him. But you you know if you're in the type of league that I'm talking about. You know if I'm talking to you right now. You know those folks know which leagues you know uh, are the ones where you go and there's literally nothing there. Well, Patterson is a player that's still going to be there a lot, and you know it could be something in a week from now. You're like, oh wow, good, I can start him for three weeks. Yeah, like this would be one of those classic, I think, you know, we'd find out who's really kind of knows what's going on with the usage and who doesn't. If Gibson goes down, everyone's going to be hyping up McKissick, go get him when it's going to be Patterson, the one actually replacing Gibson on the early downs. Next matchup, we got the Packers at the Bears, Green Bay sitting as four and a half point favorites. Game total is at 45. So um, I was writing about Tom Brady and I knew that the Buccaneers just throw the hell out of the ball inside the five-yard line. So, you know, went into the stat trying to look at pass play rate inside the five, assuming the Buccaneers would come out on top. Nope, it's Aaron Rodgers. 80% pass play rate inside the five-yard line. Nobody else is even above 70%. Only nine teams are even above 50%. So Rodgers like, if you guys want me back in Green Bay, I am padding those numbers, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. And, hey, you know, the Bears defense, I think we've seen over the past few weeks not nearly as bad as Stafford and McVay and some of those blown coverages made them look in week one. But come on, Rodgers only needed 53 pass attempts to throw eight touchdowns against these guys last year. Obviously, Devontae Adams, you're firing up. You know, if you want to rank them number one among all receivers, I think it makes sense. We just don't have, you know, in terms of just best overall QB wide receiver connection in the league, I still do believe they hold uh, that gold medal. I do wonder if it could be Aaron Jones' breakout game. Dwayne, did you see his 57-yard run last week? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You oh know my how, gosh, You know how man. I saw it? Because I flipped over. I was flipping back and forth. And then I saw, you know, um, A.J. Dillon in the game. And I was like, man, Dillon was just in the game, you know, this last drive. And so I was like hitting on, you know, I was clicking on ultimate, trying to see what's going on. And then, like, they did a rewind and they showed the play again. I was like, oh, he's gassed. Like, he had to come off the field because he just had this long run. So that's how I found out about it, yeah. Makes a linebacker missing the hole, gets past the safety at the second level, and then to top it off the end of the run, just brutally stiff arms a dude on the ground. So just an, un, you know, sometimes these big plays, hey, they get a seat, they get a gap, and they're fast enough to run through it. Like, this was some of the most earned 57 yards I have seen all season. So we do have Dylan getting 16 and 12 touches over the past two weeks. Look, Aaron Jones is still our top five weekly RB. I would say with Dylan, though, I have more confidence now that he will also be an RB1 if Jones were to miss time. We have Kylan Hill there. He impresses on some kick returns from time to time. But their willingness to use Dylan in the passing game, which they have then gone to the media and basically verified to us all, it does tell me that Dylan, even if he wouldn't be the locked-in you know, target, just hog, if Jones were to miss time, it wouldn't be a situation where they're just you know really going out of the way not to throw the ball so if you have AJ Dillon I know he was really going high towards the end of uh, you know uh, the offseason so I don't think that he's necessarily a guy you still feel all that great about standalone value but he is truly one of the highest upside handcuffs in all of fantasy football Dwayne we got the Bears like could they just do anything cool at this point they keep ruining one fantasy asset after another I'm, I'm just so tired of Matt Nagy I am too, so we don't have to spend. I feel bad like saying that, but look, the pass volume environment's poor. Um, they're a run-heavy team if they can be. 
Um, you know, but it's just one of the worst environments for all of fantasy football, man. So, I mean, you don't feel comfortable starting Justin Fields. That means you don't feel comfortable despite there's good target shares for Allen Robinson. There's good target share for Darnell Mooney. Cole Komet's even doing some positive things, but it's like, I didn't even, I couldn't even give any of them an upgrade or any kind of positive positivity. It still had to be this negative overcast, you know, this, this stormy cloud of Matt Nagy, like hang, hanging over everything going on. Um, when I was writing the utilization report. And so, yeah, it's just not something I'm super excited about i did dig in deeper to the bears backfield though we talked about it a little bit yesterday so i'll spend my time on on that here so when you look at damian williams last week he did start the game in handled 79 percent of the snaps when the game was within three points so that's what i call a close game script then once you get to four points or more that's a leading script if you're losing by four points or more and there's different ways i can slice it like i've got some different filters i've got some for like big lead versus just you know normal leading because there's blowouts right and there's four minute offense and all that kind of stuff that comes into play but the biggest takeaway for me here um, was whenever once they got the lead Man, like, because I went, you, I'm sure you do this sometimes, but we have a cool tool where we can go in and we can just click drive by drive by drive by drive. And we can see, like, how did the backfield change, like, throughout the game? And then we know, like, what the situation is that's going on in the game as that's changing, which is kind of gives you a really good picture whenever you're thinking about utilization and you're working your way through some of these things. But when I looked at it for um, Khalil Herbert, he led the way with 63% of the snaps, Ian, once the Bears were ahead uh, by four points or more. He took most of the long, uh, Williams took most of the long down and distance work. So um, you're talking about second, third, and fourth down and three or more yards to go. You know, that's all considered long down distance because the league, um, sorry, not second down, but third down and fourth down and three yards or more to go because the league passes 90% of the time. So it was, it was Damian Williams getting that. But the surprising thing to me, Ian, was Herbert is kind of like this Gainwell thing where he got 100% of the two-minute offense. And it wasn't like it was one snap. The Bears, that's maybe the – that maybe I missed the headline. The Bears used the two-minute offense for five plays last week. Whoa, Matt Nagy, slow down, dude. Like you're getting way too ahead of yourself. So, yeah, that's the thing with Herbert. He is actually the – he looks like he's more the closer. He's going to play whenever they have the lead. Whenever it's a closer game, whenever they're behind, it's going to be Williams. But even then, you're going to see Herbert potentially work his way out there in the two-minute offense if they can manage to run a little bit more of that. Still not a player I feel super comfortable starting. You know, if you look at the game this weekend, they are uh, underdogs by four points points um you know, sorry they're on they're actually oh man i got screwed up i'm looking for damian i'm sorry yeah four and a half point dogs it's not four point dogs but only 20.25 um are their implied points so i think damian williams is probably going to be the back this weekend you know in for the bears um but i think in games where they could actually be leading we could see a little bit more herbert until we get um, david montgomery back are we buying low on Allen Robinson or are we just laughing at the guy that drafted him? Dude, man, I don't know what to say anymore. I, I mean, I want to say, yeah, look, it, it's, there's nothing. I will, I will say this. It's nothing to do with Allen Robinson because I have actually gone back and watched some of it. Like, like he's still doing his thing, you know, and he's still getting his targets. But, man, we've got to have the volume. The volume has got to increase, you know, when you look at the Bears. So, for example, like like I, I do this other thing where I run it and I just get rid of overtime and stuff like that. I know you kind of do something similar. Um, but whenever you're looking at the Bears, man, and you're looking at their dropbacks per game, they're second to last in the league, man. They're only dropping back to pass 30.2 times per game when you get rid of the trash. Um, now, rushes per game 
is really good, right? They're actually a 27.6. That's actually the ninth best in the NFL. So there's just not enough passing volume, and you've got a quarterback that's struggling in fields. You've got a play caller that's struggling in Matt Nagy. There's not really anything creative going on. So I just I feel like right now, Ian, it's like if, if Allen Robinson is on your team, you can't get anything for him. I don't want to dump him. Right. So I'm probably just con- I'm just going to call him a wide receiver five, you know, four stash play for now. I'm just, you know, and he's going to I know he's got wide receiver wide receiver three upside, but it's not him, man. It's the offense. The offense has to turn around. So there's a lot of things that have to change. It's not like Allen Robinson can just say, hey, my bad. I'm just going to pick <laughs> myself up and like fix this. He's he's literally he's having to depend on everyone else doing their job first before he can succeed in his. Yeah, I mean, people wonder how Robinson has made, had, how he's had such a great career with horrendous quarterback play volume. He had 151 targets when he caught 14 touchdowns from Blake Bortles. Over the last two years, consistent wide receiver one with the Bears, 154, 151 targets. Current 17 game pace for this year, 99 targets. Absolutely dreadful to see. Bengals at the Lions since he's sitting as three-point favorites. Game total is at 47 and a half. So Samaji Piran is on the COVID list. Not sure if he's been vaccinated or whatever it is, but they did go ahead and promote Elijah Holyfield. Or they, I think they just added him to the practice squad. So we'll see how that situation plays out. I would really think that Joe Mixon will be back there getting the bigger role. He looked plenty healthy to me, uh, Dwayne, last week. He actually shot around a freaking linebacker in the hole on his way to the end zone from 10 yards out and felt good enough to do a nice little dance in the end zone that if I tried to mimic would just look, you know, even whiter than my skin already just does every single day of my life. But Mixon, this could be one of those big explosion weeks where he makes the most out of 20 touches, assuming he is back in the usual role. Lions are 29th in PPR points per game allowed to running backs and something that I'll be talking about a lot on the podcast on Thursday with Nathan Yonke. I went ahead and I took quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, fantasy points allowed, and then just average it out for every team's schedule over the next five weeks. Third easiest schedule over the next five weeks for Joe Mixon and the Bengals. So I think at this point, everyone sees all the volume and everything with them. They realize we have a weekly RB1. If you got any haters out there, this could be the stretch where we see Joe Mixon really start to turn it on in fantasy land. And yeah, I just want to echo basically what I said about Justin Jefferson because it applies to Jamar Chase, man. Like we looked at it last year and we saw how good Jefferson was. And I remember kind of asking the question, like if Jefferson is this good and he was the number two, you can say it was 1A, 1B, whatever on the LSU team. But how the hell good is Jamar Chase going to be? Our answer is he is also already anyone's idea of a top five, top 10 wide receiver. He's not having a great rookie season. He is having a great season, regardless of how many years you've been in the NFL. Eighth in PFF receiving grades, seventh in receiving yards, second in touchdowns, fourth in yards per outrun, PPR wide receiver eight through five weeks. Again, it's just we can't take for granted how good these young players are doing so far. And with Chase and Jefferson both, man, they you you they pass the eye test with absolute flying colors. So I believe our own Andrew Erickson pointed out over on the Twitter sphere, Jamar Chase leads the league in air yard target share. Hey, you know, we were concerned about the volume, but Burrow gets it. And if anyone's gonna lose out, it's just gonna be Higgins and Boyd. I think Boyd probably more so than the others. So hopefully we have started to see the Bengals put their foot on the 
gas a little more passing the ball, a little bit more higher pass rate in neutral situations over the past two weeks. Either way, Jamar Chase getting tougher and tougher to keep out of legit wide receiver one territory. Again, haven't put the ranks together just yet. Maybe he's still top 15, top 16. Either way, need to be starting him each and every week, particularly in a smash spot like this one. So, Dwayne, on the other side of the ball, can you calm, can you calm the TJ Hawkinson managers <laughs> out there? Can you tell them it's going to be all right? Yeah, I mean, look, it, this stuff really does come down to utilization. Like, he's out there running plenty of routes. We still know he's a young talent. He's battling through an injury. He barely suited up last week, you know, so he's dealing with a knee injury. And they talked about it like, hey, what kind of knee injury is it? He says, basically, just DBs always going at my knees. So he's, like, just super sore. Um, so it's something that I would expect him to be working his way through. I would think he would be closer to full this week. Let's, let's see how his practice reports go. But look, here are his routes the last three weeks, 75%, 96%. And 82%. For a tight end, the magic number is 80%. And then if you can get close to 20% targets per route run, like you're in the magic zone, like you're in, you're probably going to be a top six tight end, um, you know, for the season, if you can average right around that. So right now as targets per route run, they're down a little bit over the last few weeks, but I expect him to still get plenty of targets. He's by far still the best player to throw the ball to on the team besides Swift and maybe even Jamal Williams is second. Then maybe you've got a you know Amon Ross St. Brown saying, hey, you know, throw me the ball too. Yeah, and they all operate in the kind of the same area. Really, they need somebody to help stretch the field out. Unfortunately, the players that they have for those roles just really are not that great. No disrespect to Khalif Raymond, Kaderil Hodge. You know, they're out there playing. They're playing in the NFL. You know, I'm not playing in the NFL. Um, so <laughs> they're doing their thing. But at the end of the day, look, it's it's Hawkinson. He's there's just not a way I see, you know, and he's the 18% of the targets for a tight end. For a tight end, that's a really good number. Like our elite tight ends are at 22 to 24% of the target share. He's sitting at 18% right now. We're only five weeks in. Look, it's a small sample. I, I still think TJ Hawkinson ends up on the year somewhere around 22 to 23% of the targets for the Lions. So I say TJ Hawkinson is a buy low. Um, it's not like the best matchup in the world for him this week. And that's the other thing with Hawkinson. Like he's had a rough string of matchups like over and over again. Like, so it's about to start getting a little better. It's not quite there this week. You know, you get the box, um, but it's closer to neutral on the tight end strength of schedule. There's definitely in from in DFS land. There's definitely some better plays this week for cheaper where you're getting some good matchups and you're probably getting some increased volume for certain players because of injuries and things like that. But overall for season long, still a very positive outlook for Hawkinson. Talk real quick about the only other two players that probably most people care about on the lines. And that's DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. We've already hit on this a few times on the pod, but look, it's just when you play on a team that's going to trail a lot of times, like the Lions do, um, actually, if you look at the Lions right now, um, you know, they they want to be more balanced. They want to get the ball more to Jamal Williams, but the game scripts just really don't work out that way, right? You know, if you look at them, if they're, they're run... Um, you know, percentage, you know, percentage of plays that they run versus pass based on game script. When you look at it, whenever they're in a close game, which they almost never get to be in, sorry, Detroit, uh, they rank fourth in rushing. Whenever they lead, which has been a really small sample size, they actually rank first in rushing attempts. So they're just trailing all the time. So, but that's why it's a great, it's, that's why it's so great to own DeAndre Swift or to roster DeAndre Swift. And that's just because Whenever they get behind, what does he get? He gets all the work because he owns the two-minute offense. He owns the long down and distance work. Um, he has 89% of the long down and distance snaps on the season now, 81% of the two-minute offense on the season now. So literally one-fifth of that is going to Jamal Williams. All the rest is going to DeAndre Swift. So just the way the lines are built, the way the game scripts happen this year, 
it's all about DeAndre Swift. And it's just a tighter and tighter needle for Jamal Williams to be able to thread because when they get they get behind like this in, and you mentioned actually, I think maybe two weeks ago on this pod with Jamal Williams, look, if he doesn't score the touchdowns, like you're going to potentially be hurting. So he's still, look, he's still in that RB3 range. He can, he can jump up and give you an RB2 performance. It would just be a lot better. Like Jamal Williams isn't, he doesn't get to play in an offense like James Conner where they're leading all the time. Like Jamal Williams like would be, awesome in the Cardinals offense yeah. playing the role that James Conner's playing right now. But that's not the hand that he's been dealt. The hand that he's been dealt is playing with the team that's the complete opposite of the Cardinals. They trail almost every single play. Yeah, well, I don't want to hear this slander on like, oh, we need to get Swift more carries because Jamal Williams is like vastly outplaying him. This is not what happened with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. That was Jones being one of the best running backs in the league and Jamal Williams not still being okay and maybe taking away more work than he should. Pick any rushing stat you want, and Jamal Williams has been significantly better. But what are we chasing Fantasyland? It's targets. That's why DeAndre Swift. The RB3. The RB3 and expected points. Absolute madness. Only other thing I'll add, Dwayne, Tyrell Williams is not returning to practice this week. He's still dealing with a concussion, which is scary. I hope Tyrell gets better. If you are in a league with a bunch of IR spots for whatever reason, you're able to get them, might not be the worst guy to throw on there. Quintez Cephas is seemingly out for the year. And you mentioned it, they need a field stretcher. Tyrell was really going to this year as their expected number one wide receiver. So, again, I don't know when he'll be back. Don't do anything extreme by any stretch. This is not, you know, go get Bateman, go get Michael Gallup level. But if you can swing it, Tyrell Williams might not be a bad guy to add to the reserve. But, people, let's play some quick bills. Really good ad here. You know, we talk about Dwayne's utilization report. I got my wide receiver cornerback uh, column, my running back column. These are behind a paywall. We got to try to pay some bills ourselves. But if you if you like the podcast, if you like the articles, if you want to get a PFF sub for 25% off any subscription, just use code FANTASY. We have grades and data live for every single player who logged a snap each and every week. And you can go find out who is expected to be the best in week six. Again, all the PFF's locked article content, weekly player rankings if we can't get to your start sick question we rank all these guys so you can go see how we would answer it if we happen to be there for you strength of schedule for every player nfl and college football betting dashboards and our great power projections and cover probabilities again if you want to support the pod if you want to just become a smarter fantasy footballer and nfl fan use code promo code fantasy for 25 percent off any sub I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. It's a cute way of giving you a lot of money and not making you sweat it. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFL. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. Promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager. One per customer. Restrictions apply. It's DraftKings.com. So sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also want to thank our sponsors at Western Southern Financial Group. Are you focused on your roster moves? Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Plan to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com slash pff 
Last one, everybody. It's football season, baby. You know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Listen through hairs has never been easier. And it's time you join two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, yeah, they sent me a very nice pack of stuff, which was great. Um, accidentally got the nose trimmer out when I was hoping to find a different trimmer, and that does not work. But luckily, they have plenty of selective trimmers that you can use for whatever body part you happen to be trying to shave. So, Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. We got the afternoon and Sunday night, Monday night games to go, everybody. First, Cardinals at the Browns. Cleveland sitting as two and a half point favorites. Game total is at 50. This should be a fun one and it should continue to be a solid enough game for Chase Edmonds, who came back. I wouldn't have been surprised if they gave James Conner even more work with Edmonds being a game-time call with that shoulder injury. He ended up playing pretty much his usual allotment of snaps through five weeks. He's the PPR RB17, RB13 expected points. So that's what we have with Edmonds. If James Conner is healthy the entire season, we're going to have a RB2, probably more in the lower end, and full point per reception scoring. And if Conner misses time, Edmonds is looking at legit. Again, Austin Eckler light usage. That's why we continue to call Edmonds one of the better buy low backs in fantasy. Because if you get him, he's fine as is. You're happy to have that player in your lineup. And if something happens, his upside is as high as any back in the league. But let's talk some DeAndre Hopkins because... Ah, it's disappointing, Dwayne. He's still fantastic. DeAndre Hopkins, the talent, has not gone anywhere. But just like Allen Robinson, his volume has. So this year, he is actually outperforming expectations. He's the wide receiver 16 overall, wide receiver 24 in expected points. The problem has been targets. So here are his games with 10-plus targets by season, starting off in 2013. 2, 4, 13, 7, 11, 11, 7, First year with the Cardinals, nine games with double-digit targets. This year, zero. I would like to think it goes up at some point, but man, there's nothing immediate suggesting it. This version of the Cardinals offense wants to keep a lot of guys involved. You lost Max Williams. I kind of think that just leads to more Rondale Moore, man. Like, I don't know that there's this huge target increase coming for Hopkins. The offense... Did slow down a little bit last week. Perhaps they're now looking at this as, oh, we got to get Hopkins more involved. That was how they found the end zone to ultimately get that last score. They threw a bomb to Hopkins, who was covered tight. He came down with it. Then they threw him a fade. He came down with that as well. So Hopkins isn't someone that I think is like you're taking out of your starting lineup, but will he get back to being that top five wide receiver you're drafting him as? That's what I'm not so sure about. So I just think now probably the time to treat him as more of a borderline wide receiver one. Again, we're not pressing the panic button. Every single Allen Robinson manager out there would die to have DeAndre Hopkins at this point. It's not terrible. It's just not quite as high as we're used to seeing from Hopkins. So he is, Dwayne, he is improving. He is improving though. Like his targets have gone from 15% to 24% to 32%. The, the only thing he needs is for the Cardinals to be in more competitive games. They lead on, they lead the second most, they play with a leading game script, the second most in the NFL. First place is the Buffalo Bills. So a lot of that is what's going on. Whereas, you know, this is very different than the Bears because we know what the Cardinals offense is capable yeah. of being. Right now, the volume is low, more due to circumstance, not because it's absolutely who the Cardinals want to be. When you look at the Cardinals underlyings and you look at really what, you know, what do they look like whenever you look at, you know, their 
their willingness to throw the ball in all game situations. They're actually a pass balanced team. They're not pass heavy like some people think, but they never have been pass heavy. That's never been Cliff Kingsbury's thing. He's really more of a pass balance. The air raid is more of a pass balance offense. And so I do think we'll see more of that. I don't know that it happens this week, but the overall is, remember, we did have two games where for all we know, Hopkins was pretty much playing, you know, just on adrenaline you know, where his ribs were banged up. And since then, we have seen the improvement. So I actually feel good about Hopkins. We just need the game scripts to work out a little better. Like, but you're probably going to rank him more 10, 11, 12. We're not really putting him at four or five right now. Yeah, but I mean, I haven't been putting him there, but but yes, I agree. Yeah, he's, I have him as a low end wide receiver one, which is still, it's still fine. All right, we're on the same page. Some of us are holding out hope a little bit longer, uh, Dwayne, even if it isn't uh, working out. But it's a great point. Like, they haven't had kind of these token NFC West shootouts yet. Last week was a dud with the 49ers, and they blew out the Rams the week before. So Kyler's most pass attempts this year was in their one close game against the Vikings when he reached 36. Even though they aren't this ridiculous air raid offense that a lot of people expected, he hit that 36 pass attempt mark in 8 of 16 games last year. So it's a very good point that at least the rates, Dwayne, are going in the right direction. Hopefully the volume catches up. And I am hopeful that Rondale Moore actually starts to pick it up here a little bit because no Max Williams means four wide receiver sets. What's going on in Buffalo? Like we'll talk about here in a bit. Dawson Knox is getting used a lot. Gabriel Davis becomes absolutely nobody. So I think it took a lot for Cliff to probably play Max Williams this much more ahead of Rondale. And Max was making a lot of really good things happen. So with him out of the picture, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cardinals finally embrace this four wide receiver offense. So I will be looking to hopefully get ahead of that in DFS land. I, I don't have Rondale's like, you know, ownership percentage in terms of like season long leagues in front of me. I'm guessing he is owned across the board and heavy majority of leagues. God forbid he's not. Please go get that man like you should have a while ago. So now, Dwayne, let's talk about the Browns because Baker, like, can we just can we not tell Baker anything? Let him run out to the field in pregame. Pull Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones aside. We'll have him rotate every week. Change jerseys with OBJ and just don't tell Baker. Have OBJ run around <laughs> thinking that he's Rashard Higgins. And Baker will throw him. Like, that's, what we're, that's, what, that's the point we're at, Dwayne. Because for the love of God, Beckham is getting three targets in a 42-point offensive effort. And I can't hate on it because they're scoring points. But I know, I know, I know, I know that the best version of this Browns offense has to involve OBJ being something. Yeah, super quick. I'm, I'm here for you, Ian. Like I, I spent a lot of time on this specific topic this morning in the utilization work I was doing, you know, grinding away, like whatever, like 6 a.m. I was like, Ian's really going to want to hear about Odell Beckham Jr. Yes. <laughs> uh, I didn't come up with the angle of switching, you know, the jerseys. But real quick, I'm on no more <laughs> before we move on. Yahoo Leagues um, rostered in 40%. So 60% oh. of the time he's out there. ESPN Leagues rostered 37%. So a lot of people oh. who picked up Rondell Moore have moved on. I agree with you. If you're in a 10 to 12 person um, format, Rondell Moore is someone that you need to consider going and adding. You know, just you, you know your roster. Look it over and see if there's someone else that's just kind of sitting there. You're like, you know what? I've given them, I've given them long enough. It's time to move on. Churn the bottom of the roster. Put Rondell Moore. Put Rondell Moore on your squad. Don't start him this weekend, you know, but put him on the squad. Let's see what happens. Let's see what Ian said. Let's see if they run more 10 personnel, even um, just getting him involved in other ways through the backfield and some other creative things they did last week as well. So we'll keep an eye on that. But as far as the Browns go and getting to, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., um, here's what I would say. Look, we're still only three weeks in 
right, from him returning from a major knee injury. So people, it's just, it's like we've automatically just forgotten that. Just, just kind of like we did to begin the season, right? We we're like, oh, he's going to be great for week one, and then we're like, oh yeah, like even though we're in this new age, you know, where we see players recover quicker than ever, he he went, he had a serious injury, right? But and he so looks he was, fine. It's not about him. Yeah, well, you say that, but look, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Like they're just now working his routes up. Like he hit his uh-huh. his he hit eighty nine percent of the routes this last week. That's the highest that he's been at. Look, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to lead this team in targets. He's going to lead this team in yards. He's going to lead this team in air yards. I don't know if he'll lead them in touchdowns because they like to throw to all three tight ends, but he certainly could. But here's what I like about this offense. Look, it's designed. It's the same design as Green Bay. It's the same design as Minnesota. Um, it's the same design. It's similar to the design in San Francisco. What does San Francisco do? They funnel targets to who? Debo Samuel. Right? What do we get in Green Bay? Look, I get it. it we're not, I'm not talking about Aaron Rodgers. I'm not talking about Baker Mayfield. I'm just talking about the scheme itself. What does that do? Yeah. They funnel all of these targets to Devontae Adams. So the, everything is set up right. We just need Beckham to be healthy. We just need the offense to get into a groove. And remember, this happened last season where it was kind of weird. And then Baker and Odell finally started to get into a little groove and Beckham got hurt. And so I look, I'm holding out on this. You know, I'm not going to dump, dump, you know, Beckham Jr. In fact, I think he's a buy low right now because I think you really can buy him super low. Everybody's out on him. If you watch social, an easy way to know who people are out on, just go look at social media. And like if the sentiment overall is just negative, you know, it's just like people do with stocks nowadays. They, they read the stock market sentiment based on what's going on on Twitter and social platform. You can do the same thing in fantasy football. Like, everybody's down on Beckham Jr. Everybody's down on Baker. So now's the time to go by on a player that's still good, on a player that's not, it's not like he's 32 years old and washed. Look, and Ian, like when we look at it, like he's, there's not a situation that changes this where he's not the best target on the team for the rest of the year, even once they get Jarvis Landry back. He's still going to be the best target on the team. What I like about this offense and how it's different, volume is the problem. It's the same problem that we talk about with Allen Robinson. It's the same problem that we talk about with some of these other teams. What I like about it with Beckham is we just need the targets to come, right? The offense itself is not bad. It's very efficient. Yes, it's run heavy, but it can be very efficient and it creates a lot of mismatches because teams have to worry so much about the running game with Nick Chubb. It's really the offensive line is nuts. And then, you know, you have Kareem Hunt playing, you know, just as good, if not better than Nick Chubb right now. Look, let's, we won't even battle that one out. We'll just say you have two really good running backs, two of the best running backs in the league playing on the same team in a run-heavy offense. It's a lot to deal with when you add that up with their offensive line. So I still like Beckham Jr. I absolutely believe that now is the time to go by. So if you can, go ahead and go by. I've still got him as a wide receiver three. You know, and I've got him as a high-end wide receiver three. I'm, I've not moved him down yet, but it's because utilization is telling me not to. Right, And when a player has a track record like Beckham does, he's not old enough for me to assume that the age thing is really hit and it's taken everything away. Now, it could be injury related and maybe, you know, there's things that are gone, but I, I'm still giving this a few more weeks. Thank you, Dwayne. I feel better. And for all <laughs> the other OBJ stands out there, we thank you. Missed opportunity on your part, though, when you said, like, what's the difference here in Cleveland? It's because Matt Nagy isn't here. In Cleveland, <laughs> That's so. true. I did miss that. I don't know. You should have, like, rang a buzzer or something and stopped me mid-sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Just started screaming mid-sentence. All right. Cowboys at the Patriots. Dallas sitting as four-point favorites. Game total at 50 and a half. How many touchdowns is Zeke on pace for? Everyone, 20. You love to see it. Career-high marks in PFF rushing 
grade. Yards per carry, yards after contact per carry, playing truly some of the best football of his career. You know, he still doesn't have that explosive 60-yard just burst that he basically had for his last two years at Ohio State in that rookie year. Might never get that back when you've had 2,000 freaking carries or whatever it is at this point. Against high-level competition, kind of makes sense. But in terms of what we could have expected out of Zeke this year, we have seen the best version. And guess what? Tony Pollard is better in everything. You know why? Because Tony Pollard is better than almost every other running back in everything. So, again, the Cowboys have two great running backs, and Zeke is the one that we want to have in Fantasyland. His weekly finishes since week one last season with the healthy Dak Prescott. Finished as the overall RB3, 6 13, 11, 4, 8, 46 against the Bucks, which caused all of you to panic. And then 10, 3, 11, and 8. So continue to I, – I did get one start sick question last week with Zeke, and I was personally offended by it. So if that was you, please don't do so again. On to more pressing matters. Oh, boy. Targets over the last three weeks for the Cowboys. Dalton Schultz, 22. C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper, 12. This is ridiculous, but with that said, Dwayne, it is reality. I don't think Schultz is the, you know, number one pass game option of the future in Dallas, despite what the last three weeks tell us. I do wonder, though, looking at the tight end ranks, which, again, we haven't done just yet, but we have Kelsey. PFF projections this week, we have Kelsey, Waller, Andrews, and at number four is Dalton Schultz. I would not do that. I would have TJ Hawkinson there and Dawson Knox. Kyle Pitts is on a bye, so we have that. But man, he very well might be the tight end six at this point. And even if you don't want to do that, I think you'd be hard-pressed to rank seven or eight in front of him. So, Dwayne, I want your thoughts on Schultz because... He's not the most talented tight end ever. He doesn't pop off the page. But at some point, like, the Cowboys love him. They throw the ball to him. And he dropped a touchdown last week. Like, his numbers could be even more extreme. What are we doing with Dalton Schultz? Are we just loving it? Yeah, I think you just have to use it for now and you ride the wave. But it's going to end. Yeah, I just don't. I, I think Schultz is a sell-high candidate. Beckham's buy low. Schultz is sell-high. Now, that doesn't mean you go give them away, people. Like, you you know, sometimes you you know I get these DMs like, "Hey, I heard you said get rid of this player," and then I see like who they gave them away for, and I'm like, I have to softly let them down. Like, yeah, you really good, but like you shouldn't have. You know, you, I didn't mean just give them away for nothing, right? So look, Schultz has value, so you need to know his value. Don't overvalue him, but put a fair you know price on him, and you just think about moving him. So here's the thing with Schultz. He's seeing hyper targets per route run right now. He's had 33%, 30%, 31%. His routes are not there. 60%, 79%, 67%. So a lot of this is to do with the way defenses are playing the Cowboys um, and what they're trying to take away and the way they're basically telling Dallas, look, here's how you're going to have to beat us. And Dak Prescott is saying, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I do not think this continues all season. I do think part of this is Amari is banged up. You know, when you watch him play, yeah, he's still squeaking out, you know, some low-end wide receiver two performances, but Amari Cooper's not normal right now. Like, he's not 100%, and he's he's a he's a trooper. He's going to battle through these things. That's what he does. That's why a lot of times, you know, we get these little spells from Amari Cooper. So you have another one going on right now. But I went back and I did a little recon on this particular thing, Ian. And if you go back um, to 2011, and you look at these players that were not over serving. Remember, 80% routes is really where we want to be. Really, Dalton Schultz living below the 70% mark pretty much every week. Um, but then I wanted to look at, like, how often does a tight end that's only running that many routes really 
you know, are they able to keep up a, you know, a 30% targets per route run? It seems like they would just get them on the freaking field more, right? If you're going to be doing that many targets per route run. And so it was pretty interesting. So the list that came up was George Kittle. Is Dalton Schultz George Kittle? No. 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 Mark Andrews. Remember Remember the year Mark Andrews went nuts and we were all like, how's this possible? He's not on the field enough. But we always knew Mark Andrews was a great talent, a seam stretcher, a mismatch. Dalton Schultz is not Mark Andrews. The closest comp I could find for him, and I still, he's not as good as this player either. This player doesn't get enough credit. Like this player plays with a severe edge is, you know, he's just in a situation where there's a lot of other good targets on his team, which makes him really the best close comp, and it's Tyler Higby. And that was in 2019, but that was really at the end of the season, he inflated those numbers. If you go back and look at the beginning of that season before all the injuries struck the, you know, struck, you know, on the Rams, Tyler Higby wasn't as much. So that's really the comp I love because that's kind of where the Cowboys are right now. They're kind of banged up. So Schultz has really been, and to his credit, he's distanced himself from Blake Jarwin, who many people thought would really be the better tight end on the team. And he hasn't. Schultz has been the player. He understands zone coverage. He knows where to sit down. He's good enough that he knows the subtleties of creating, you know, you got to be able to create separation against those, against those, you know, Harditz type, you know, linebackers, you know, on the (laughs) inside, you know, he, he doesn't, he does some nice things that actually remind you a little bit of Jason Witten you know, um, in that, in that area. And so he obviously took notes, you know, from Witten, you know, as a player. But when I looked at this, the other thing is, so you go back to Kittle and Andrews, their talent profile is different, but the, here's the other thing. Kittle and Andrews in those seasons didn't have Amari Cooper, CD lamb and Michael Gallup on their team either. Right. They were the centerpieces to their offense. So I, I'm, I am like very bullish that this is going to go away. I'm fine with starting Dalton Schultz this week, maybe get another week out of him. But you need to move him. You need to try to move on from him. But again, don't don't give him away for free. Just know that the data ultimately says that this is really not very likely to keep going. He might settle in as like a low-end tight end one still because he has distanced himself from Jarwin. But yeah, he is not that guy, pal, compared to everyone else we're talking about. Now, Dwayne, with the Patriots, is this just too muddled right now? We talked about Hunter Henry on the waiver pod. Yeah. Damon Harris, he's got the rib and chest injuries. He's day-to-day, avoided long-term stuff. But, man, this is bad game script for him. We know Mac Jones really isn't doing enough as a passer, I think, to enable these receivers. Like, I feel like Mac Jones, like everyone watched the Brady-Mac Jones Sunday night game. We're really like almost inflating how good. And every other rookie quarterback was so bad to start the year. Jones has been fine, but until he literally isn't the worst passer in the league throwing 20 yards downfield, I don't really want anything to do with any of these guys. Jacoby, I guess he's, you know, this volume hog wide receiver three. But even then, man, I feel like if you have a fantasy football team and you don't have a single Patriot on it, you're okay with that. Yeah, you really should be. Um, you know, we'll have to keep an eye. If, if Damian Harris doesn't play, I would expect Ramondre Stevenson to play his role. But to your point, it's really not a great script. They're an underdog. They're playing at Dallas. Now, Belichick does a good job of trying to figure these things out and find a way to keep his team, you know, in a game. Um, but really, the Cowboys could easily just turn this thing into a blowout. I mean, the Patriots, they're, they're overmatched. I mean, this is not a good matchup for them really anywhere on the ball. Um, in my opinion, outside, inside, in the trenches. Like, I don't see, you know, any sort of advantage they can really use other than just out coaching Mike McCarthy, which Belichick could totally do. 
Belichick could yeah. totally do, but there's just a lot of talent that they're going to have to deal with. So, yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm fine with Myers. Um, you know, he is the leading target, you know, on the Patriots. So I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be a wide receiver three for the rest of the year. He's going to give you some wide receiver two weeks. This is a little bit of a tougher one. I don't know that you'll get some sort of shadow or anything from Diggs, but, you know, Look, Diggs has been playing against some of the best receivers in the league. Now, he's been giving up some plays. You know, how he's making up for it is he's baiting and he's getting these pickoffs. Um, you know, and that's really where he's living. Um, you know, those Diggs boys, wow. Like, it's like, geez. Like, he, how's he not a receiver? Like, he's so good. But I, I do like Myers. That's probably the only Patriot I would want to play. We did talk a little bit, you know, in the waiver wire pod about the tight ends. And I still feel... Um, bullish on Hunter Henry. You know, you're you're continuing to see his routes increase. You're seeing his targets per route increase. But again, having said all that, it wasn't like it was a guy I was pounding the table saying, "Look, he's going to be a top six tight end." I just think he's a low. I think he's a, a high end tight end two to a low end tight end one. So if you're in a pinch and Hunter Henry, which was kind of surprising, he's actually out there in quite a few wires. Um, like he is somebody that you can pick up and play. But man, there's nothing. I didn't see anything when I was getting ready for this show where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk about this. Actually, I was just hoping you would let me talk a little about the Cowboys and you did so we can move on. I am such a nice guy sometimes. You are. Yeah, you are. with with, uh, with uh, Diggs, I don't think he'll shadow Myers. They've used him kind of on and off with it. Yeah. He went, I think maybe it was the plan with Galladay last week, but he got hurt so quick we couldn't exactly tell. He did it with DJ Moore. Didn't allow any of the touchdowns to him. Did allow like 90 yards. And then he did it with Keenan Allen, who also went over 100 yards. But Diggs is getting the interception. So, like, I don't want to see people trying to reverse this and slander Diggs somehow for giving up some yards. You, you think Dallas cares if an offense moves down to the 30-yard line and Diggs picks it? Of course nope. not. This is why, for arguments about wide receivers and stuff, even if yards, I get it, are more predictive year to year, Turnovers, touchdowns, these are the things that matter in football games. For tiebreakers, that's why we use turnovers and touchdowns, not yards. Last three games, everyone. We got the Raiders at the Broncos. Denver sitting as four-point favorites, game total at 44. So, Darren Waller, he had 19 targets in week one. After that, seven, 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 and eight. I think, in general, we can maybe expect those to move up a little bit given week. But even taking week one out of the equation, he's still tied for third behind only Kelsey and Mark Andrews among tight ends. So I get it. Hasn't been consistent blowups. We thought we were getting 15 or 19 targets a week after that first game of the year. Still wouldn't panic. We're locking him in as our tight end, too. Once again, wide receivers, Hunter Renfro, wide receiver 27 on the year. Life comes at you fast. Henry Ruggs, wide receiver 37. I think, you know, I won't have Renfro in my top 30, but he is a solid high floor wide receiver three. One of only five guys with at least five catches in every game this year. The big question is Josh Jacobs. And Dwayne, as much as I would like to say, hey, this is it. We're full in. We're good with Jacobs. We still got to check two things off. First of all, you all, I mean, I'm not going to spend time talking about the John Gruden situation. You guys have heard enough about that. But losing him as the play caller, we're not sure how Jacobs will get treated. Maybe they say you're never leaving the field now. Maybe it becomes more of a committee. And at some point, I guess maybe Peyton Barber is going to come back and be active. And if he is, we got to wonder what this backfield is going to look like. So, so far... Jacobs has survived Kenyon Drake. He survived Jalen Richard. Now we got to add, you know, 
like it's one of those I, i'm trying that meme it's got like the you know the grim reaper and they'll kind of show the doors he's already like finished off and all that and they show the upcoming ones we've gotten drake out of there we've gotten richard out of there now we got john gruden and uh peyton barber to cross off the list so even with that 18 and 20 combined carries and targets over the last two weeks an extreme negative game script i still think jacobs if you can get him for for not that much is someone to go worthy of going to get in the old trade market now Dwayne, we got the broncos man i just want them to give javante williams the ball is that so hard because i know gordon doesn't suck but man javante number one in the league and broken tackles for miss carry and like he looks so good out there man yeah man and it's just it's just not happening like it's just been a split and i think until until we see it change like it's really hard it's hard to get on board actually like I I have Javonta Williams and Melvin Gordon. I have Melvin Gordon only like two or three times. I've got like 30 teams or whatever that I have to manage, not not best ball. Javonta Williams, I've got like five or six times. I don't 30 ever start teams him. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't ever start him. I never start Javonta Williams. I leave him on, you know, my bench. Like I'm literally picking up players every week to start over him, you know, because there's been so many injuries at running back. Like this week, it'll be Booker several times over Javonta Williams. Now I'm waiting. I'm patiently waiting. I do believe Javante Williams, you know, is a player that you want to buy low on. I know we're here to talk about matchups and all that, but I would say he is a player season long. He, to your point, he looks really good. And at some point, I think things do start to tilt his way. The positives for Javante Williams are he's being used in every single situation. That's what you want to see. They're not avoiding him in the two-minute offense. They're giving more of that to Melvin Gordon, but they're letting Javante Williams do it. They're not avoiding him in long down and distance. They give more of it to Melvin Gordon, but they're letting Javante Williams do it. Short down and distance. All these situations, these high leverage touches where coaches really want to trust the player that they're turning around to hand the ball off to or trusting in you know, a pass blocking situation, running a route, running the right hot, all those sorts of things. Javonta Williams is on the field when those things really matter, just not quite as much as Melvin Gordon. So those are all positives to me, Ian. And once once you equalize in that spot, and I see the trust from the coaching staff, and we can't read minds, but all we, we do read data, then I start to lean to the player that I think looks better. And I think that's where we're at. So I think somewhere here in the next few weeks, you know, maybe we will see it. I just can't you know, pound the table and say, hey, you got to get this player in your lineup. It's fine, you know, if you've got a stack lineup and, you know, maybe you went anchor RB and you've got stud receivers all over the place and Javonta's your two and you're just hoping for these weeks where he rips off, you know, you know, a long touchdown, which he's probably due for one, right? He keeps ripping off these long runs and some of them aren't ending in touchdowns. So I think you could still be okay and get through it with Williams. Um, but right now I think we're in a wait and see approach. The play two players I want to talk about the most on this team, Cortland Sutton gets the a 74.3 grade in the wide receiver cornerback matchup and again this is looking across the whole team you know for the for the Raiders that we're playing against so I think he's in a good spot again this week we saw him really blow up last week despite the ankle injury late in the week uh, I mean he's just you know look this is Odell Beckham Jr. right everybody was like oh you know Nobody liked Cortland Sutton week one. Utilization looked pretty good for a player coming back from injury. We talked about it. Week two, he blows up. Everybody loves Cortland Sutton. Now, the last two weeks, utilization stayed great. 94% of the routes, 98% of the routes. His targets were at 22%, 22%, but he finished 55 and 62. Everybody like, I'm benching Cortland Sutton. 
right? What does he do? He comes out and blows up because all the utilization is still there and he finishes as wide receiver nine. Would we prefer that Cortland Sutton just maybe, you know, it'd be fine, Cortland, if you just finish somewhere in the 20s each week for us. We would probably take that <laughs> over these blow up weeks, you know, in these in these big swings low. But, you know, you win on blow up weeks. Like blow up weeks are a big part of how you get your victories in fantasy football. So we don't, beggars don't want to be choosers. The bottom line is Sutton, until we get Jerry Judy back, which could happen here in the next couple of weeks, it looks like he's on the front end of his recovery schedule schedule another quick call out check your waiver wire for jerry judy should not be available but in case he is just give that a quick look see if you have a way to get him on the roster make sure you do it but sutton looks really good for the weekend and then the one other player we've got it's really two players i have to mention um but is it's a noah Fant. so noah Fant. if you look at him over the last three weeks ian here are his routes they've gone from 65 percent to 86 percent to 91 percent targets per route have been 15 percent 26 percent 10 percent so He's at all the he's at the thresholds for the routes. We know he's a good enough player because we've seen him get targeted per route on a per route basis, twenty and thirty percent of the time. In his, you know, in the past, we've already seen it happen this week. So everything is there for Noah Fant. Um, and I, you know, with matchups, um, it's not a great one, you know, against the Steelers. Um, but he's a good enough player. Um, and actually, that isn't right, is it? Like who they don't have Bron- this. Uh, Raiders, Raiders. Yeah. Yes, the Raiders. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't update my opponents yet on the tight end on on the tight end board but yeah so against the Raiders um so but the tight end strength of schedule is still accurate it's a three and a half for this week because I just updated that um but Fant looks really good he's getting all so I would actually rank him ahead of Dalton Schultz this week if Albert Okwabonum is out and I hope I said that right Albert Okwabonum um, I tried. It's it. a Albert O. No, Dwayne, you can't do this. It's we Albert as a fantasy, I, I wanted to. I wanted to try. You're gonna it. piss off the entire fantasy community if you make us start learning his last name. It's Albert O. Okay. We need All to right. cut that. We need to I, cut that. I don't. I don't want to piss off everyone. I don't. I don't want that weight on my shoulders. But we have to see if he's gonna be inactive. That's really where this boost has come for and for Noah Fant. And week four, early in the game, Albert O injured his hamstring. And so he was only out there for 20% of the routes. Normally he's 35, 40%. Last week he missed the game. And so Fant's routes really skyrocketed. So if you see that Albert O is out, that makes Noah Fant a great play. It's probably going to be under rostered in DFS. I gave him a whirl last week. He didn't come through for me, but I will definitely go back to the well again in DFS on Noah Fant this week. One quick thing to add, Dwayne, as you like to say, context does matter. And just to quickly kind of put Sutton's into view for everyone, get shut down week one. Judy was out there and James Bradbury had himself a hell of a game. Sutton is the type of wide receiver that Bradbury does especially thrive against. Blows up against the Jaguars. Week three, the Broncos win 26 to nothing over the Jets. I think as we're seeing this Broncos team a little more, we aren't necessarily expecting too many more of those. And either way, Sutton cut off five of his targets. The next week, undone by the Drew Locke experience. And against the Steelers, why did we not start him? Because he had that damn ankle injury on Friday, which, as we found out, wasn't an issue at all. So number two in the entire NFL in air yards, Corlin Sutton is a weekly wide receiver two option. And, Dwayne, you got some space on that wall behind you. I want you to frame that quote you just threw out there. We can't read minds. We can read data. Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. I like it. Sunday Night Football. Sunday Night Football. We got the Seahawks at the Steelers. Pittsburgh sitting as four-and-a-half-point favorites. That's how status got for Big Ben, everyone. Four-and-a-half-point home favorite against Geno Fuken-Smith. Game total at 42. Uh, Yeah, if you want the full thoughts on Geno Smith, check out the waiver wire pod. Basically, try to avoid this offense. I get it. If you have Metcalf, you're starting him. But it's now as a wide receiver, too. And Lockett, man. 
I hope he can still be a wide receiver too. I'm nervous. Like I would probably answer some other guys with the Tyler Lockett uh, start sit question as opposed to Metcalf. We don't know. Maybe the Seahawks say we need to start doing smart things and not rely the entire offense upon our generational quarterback. Sorry, I hate when people say generational, but for Russ, I, I do think it at least partially um, applies. He's very good. Let's go with that. Um, and yeah, Chris Carson, if he is back, I would like to treat him as an RB too. Maybe Alex Collins has shown enough, or maybe Carson is not close enough to 100% that we get a split committee. Honestly, I'd probably feel best if Carson was out again, and then we could fire up Alex Collins as a low-end RB2. But yeah, try to avoid this offense, similar to the Patriots. And yeah, I'll just save everyone some time. Dwayne, what do you got on the Steelers? Yeah, on the Steelers, we're going to have Juju Smith-Schuster is out for the season, right? So this is a huge boost for Chase Claypool. We've actually had two games in the last three weeks where Claypool has been on the field and we haven't had one of the three musketeers from the from the trio for the Steelers out there in week three it was Deontay Johnson that was out in week four it was Claypool himself that was out but week three we had Deontay Johnson out he was out there for 91 percent of the routes 25 percent targets per route run 26 percent of the targets wide receiver 17 in week three week five 79 percent of the routes because you did have juju in the game early but then he eventually left 27 percent targets per route run targets 25 percent wide receiver 11. so in the two games where we've had one of the other you know receivers for the Steelers out he's been wide receiver 17 wide receiver 11. yes ben doesn't look very good but i think this is kind of a situation now though ian that and it's not that we want juju to be hurt but I, I, I think you can support Deontay and Claypool, right? James Washington eventually will get out there and be doing his thing as well, but he'll be more the third wheel. I do believe that things will consolidate. And here's the other thing with Claypool. We've seen these targets per route be really strong, even when they've held him back in routes in the past. And so that's continued through. So I expect as more playing times, James Washington's the opposite. James Washington has had many times in his career where he's had all the playing time he can handle and his targets per route have never been there. That basically is my cheat code for you're not open, dude, or you're not doing <laughs> something right. The quarterback's not looking at you. Doesn't mean that you can't eventually be used. Now, the thing that could be going on with James Washington is he's also been more of a deep threat, right? For a lot of his career. So by the nature of that, don't want to make the same mistake twice. I made that mistake this preseason with Mike Williams. And so it caused me to look at his data a little bit from the wrong light. So a new part of my process I added in was really looking at ADOT with some of the players like this. So that can definitely be part of it with James Washington. But the thing is, I expect James Washington to stay in that role. I think it will be Deontay Johnson working short and intermediate. I think you're going to have Claypool working intermediate and deep, plus getting a few built-in looks around the line of scrimmage. And then you're going to have James Washington mostly working deep. So I do think you can play both Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool going forward as wide receiver twos that could give you wide receiver three production, but they can occasionally give you wide receiver one production. Yes, Ben isn't great, but I think he's good enough to do that. You guys don't need me to tell you about Najee Harris. He's a badass, so we can move forward. Good matchups, though, for both of those uh, players this week, for Claypool and for Deontay Johnson. Not great, but they both have good matchups on top of everything else that I just said. Starting them each and every week. Fantasy formats of all shapes and sizes. Finally, people, we have reached Monday Night Football. Bills at the Titans. Buffalo sitting as five and a half point favorites. Game total of 54. 
Buffalo Bills, number one scoring offense, number one scoring defense. Just absolutely incredible. Hats off to them on that terrific Sunday night football performance. Just taking it right to freaking Patrick Mahomes and company. Can't say enough good good things about both sides of the ball. I was laughing, man. Like when Clyde was still, before he got hurt, like Tremaine Edmonds running him down. I literally thought like Edmonds just decided like, I'm going to eat this guy and there's nothing he can do about it. I'm not sure if there would be anything Clyde can do about it. Tremaine Edmonds is a scary individual. But yes, on this offense, the one thing I would just point out, again, I, I don't think people are panicking on Diggs. If they are, go get them. Because Manny Sanders, wide receiver 20 on the year. Diggs, wide receiver 25. What the expected points say? Diggs, wide receiver 10. Sanders, wide receiver 26. So not concerned about Diggs. I'm not, look, I think it makes sense if Sanders is the number two receiver in this offense ahead of Cole Beasley. As we know with Josh Allen, certainly always seeing his name at the top of those average target depth leaderboards. There were chunks of last season where John Brown was out, leading to Beasley getting a little bit more involved. So yeah, if you can avoid starting Beasley, that's fine. But he's also going to have another one of these eight or nine reception games here before too long. And against the Titans defense that, okay, we found out they can slow down the Jaguars, but against a real NFL team, I do think that they could continue to struggle. And the man of the hour, Dawson Knox, fantasy tight end three. Life comes at you fast. 96% snaps last week. Season high. He is a true every down player, and he is a legit top five Madness. He's at least a top five tight end this week. I think Kyle Pitts will, I know Kyle Pitts will bump him out when he is back there, but hey, gotta love it. And if you happen to grab Knox throughout the summer when we had, you know, different players on the roster, reports saying this, reports saying that, you trusted the talent, kudos to you. It is working out. Um, also coincided with the season low snaps for Gabriel Davis. Uh, Dwayne, you mentioned this earlier with RSJ and you're 100% right. We can't expect wide receivers and tight ends to just go in for an injured player as seamlessly. With Gabriel Davis, though, I do think he is one of the very few exceptions to that rule. I'm guessing he is on a lot of waiver wires, same as, you know, Rondale Moore and probably way less than uh, Rondale Moore. And with Gabe Davis, if you have the roster spot for him, just realize he is one injury away to Beasley, to Manny Sanders, both 30-plus-year-old wide receivers, and or Stefan Diggs away from probably being a low-end wide receiver three immediately. So if any of those guys get injured, Gabriel Davis's face is going to be on every single waiver wire article in the damn country, probably even in Russia too. So with Davis, I know people were kind of hoping for all these four wide receiver sets, and they're not happening. It's Dawson Knox. But just, again, realize out of all the handcuffed receivers in fantasy football, Davis might very well be number one. Now, Dwayne, I got a storyline for you. Last year... A lot of people drafted A.J. Brown high. He didn't have a good week one, got injured. He came back in week five. We were recording a podcast on Tuesday. It was a weird Tuesday <laughs> uh -huh. game. And A.J. Brown came out. He hung 82 yards and a touchdown right over the top of X-Bill's corner, Josh Norman's head. Fast forward one year, the Titans are home, facing the Bills on a primetime game. A.J. Brown, you're not panicked, are you? We can't seriously be panicking about the artist known as A.J.B. No, and if somebody in your league is panicked and they are rostering AJ Brown, you should be, you know, knocking on the door. You should be kicking the tires, shaking the tree, <laughs> whatever you want to say, whatever, whatever, however it is you like to say that you should be looking into something. 
That's what you should be doing. Um, because A.J. Brown, like last week, you know, we saw everything that we wanted to see from a utilization perspective. This is a player that we know is good, and he came out and he was on the field for 89% of the routes. Typically, he's out there anywhere from like 88 to 92, 93%, the way that the Titans like to rotate their receivers. 21% targets per route run. 28% of the targets on the week. A.J. Brown is fine. He just didn't show – He did. That, that's the definition right there, you know, of what you want to see. 28% target share, 89% of the routes – but he showed up 58 in, in the from a PPR perspective on the week. So AJ Brown gonna be fine. You absolutely want to play him. Um, he's got a nice matchup this weekend. 81.9 on the wide receiver cornerback matchup scale, like you talked about. Just did that this last year to them. You got a great total in the game of 54. Implied points on the Tennessee side isn't great, but they can make this competitive. And so yeah, he's a player that I like. We'll have to watch Julio Jones. Let's see what his practice reports look like. See if he's going to be able to play. Not sure yet. Um, as far as the rest of the receivers on this thing, man, Anthony Ferkser, if you were kind of holding on, you know, he had gotten some okay utilization in week four. That really crapped out in week five. So you can just move on, you know, from him. But as far as the, the big matchup, right, is really with Derrick Henry. And so if you look at the Bills, they are the type of team that could potentially put enough pressure right on the titans to have to get away from the derrick henry madness you know um, but it's really hard to do because tennessee they are willing to run the ball at all times they are they rank number nine in the league and running the ball whenever they're trailing right and that's that's a percentage that's not a number of plays percentages are what we care about because we're trying to use this stuff to say okay if this happens then how does that impact this game, right? Just raw numbers don't help us as much there. So number nine, though, that they they will stick with the run. They're number three when the game is in three points, and they rank number nine when they're leading. So you have a run-heavy team willing to run the ball at all times. Now, when it gets to extremes, they do have to abandon ship. So like if you get down by like 10 points, you get down by 14 points, that's different than being down by four points. And that's the one thing you got to worry about with Derrick Henry this week. Doesn't matter. You're going to fire him up no matter what he's not going to be on the main slate in dfs so you don't have to worry about it there um you don't have to you don't have to make that kind of decision um but just something you know just to keep in mind this is the one type of game that could potentially impact derrick henry one quick thing i will say um with cole beasley what's hurting cole beasley is what we've been talking about with a lot of these good offenses the bills lead the most in the nfl from a percentage of the plays they run they lead the most and so what does that mean they don't run 11 personnel. They're not. See, my dogs all agree. The, the Bills do not run 11 personnel. My dog, Honey, she's pissed. Honey is pissed. Maybe this is PFF Honey. Like, just saying, look, there's PFF Lily. There should be a PFF Honey. Um, I'm in. But, <laughs> but when, you look at, when you look at the way that, you know, their offense is now Ruby wants to be part of it. Be quiet. Anyway, uh, so it's a situation where they're just leading. So they're not running 11 personnel. And that's also a good thing. Remember the work that Hayden Wings did this summer, Ian, where he talked about you can't look at yards per route run equal. You can't – whenever you're looking at it with three wide receivers on the field versus when there's only two and a tight end and a fullback. And if you look at, you know, um, the Bills over the last two weeks, they've run 21 personnel. Last week they ran 33% of the time because they were leading the whole time. Well, that helps Dawson Knox. That helps Emmanuel Sanders because guess what? Cole Beasley's not on the field to compete 
you know, for these targets, and he's always getting a good matchup inside on the slot. So it really helps all these other players on the Bills offense. So really what Beasley needs, he just needs a competitive script. When they've been in a little bit more competitive scripts this season, we've actually seen them use 11 personnel upwards of 70%. And the games where they're not ahead, we've seen that number get down into the low 60s. We've seen it even dip down into the 50s. And when that happens, that's really problematic for one Cole Beasley. Hey, we got the dog barking storyline in there. Don't be surprised. If you want to just, you know, put Beasley in the captain spot right now, I would not blame you. I don't know what better <laughs> sign you need, people. Dwayne, we have reached the end of today's podcast. Anything else to go off your chest? No, man. Man, we got a, we got to a ton of great stuff today. So sorry about the dogs at the end. But yeah, let's use it. Get get them in the captain spot. Let's get Cole Beasley in the captain spot. I will I will dedicate I will say now that I will have one team in the showdown on Monday, and Cole Beasley will be in the captain spot. Let's see if he does as well. I'm going to make sure to do that as well. Well, I got to get going, Dwayne. I got a date. It's leg day at the local gym. Nice. So I'm pumped. I'm going to get after it. And uh, I hope you do as well at home. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>